0: Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast,
1: a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today.
0: I'm Whitney Lowe
1: and I'm Teluca. Welcome,
0: Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. The Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with Suite, and much more.
1: ABMP CE courses, podcast, and Massage and Bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including you, Whitney Lowe, myself, Taluka. Uh Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com slash thinking. Okay, who's our guest today, Whitney?
0: Well, speaking of expert voices, we are very delighted to have uh, Mr. John Sharkey from Dublin, Ireland with us today. And uh, John, thank you so much for taking some time. I'm looking forward to a fascinating uh, discussion delving into some some great stuff with you. So welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast. Well, thank you to both. It's a real privilege. It's um, I'm delighted. I'm really thrilled, psyched to be here. John, can you take a few minutes to uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Tell them a little bit about what you're doing and uh, what's your what's your primary focus and work is that you've been all over the map doing all kinds of things for many years. But uh, I would like our audience to kind of get a, an appreciation for the depth of, of the things that you've accomplished here.
2: Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I started out in the massage therapy world in 1977. And um, you know, since that time, I've um, I've gained undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in exercise physiology and in anatomy. And in fact, the early um, the people who were the early influencers in in, in for me, you know, uh, these were people who once they realised that I had an interest in the human body. We didn't have a health fitness industry in Ireland, um, at you know at that time it grew, and I always knew that I had an interest in the body. And they said to me, well. Anatomy and physiology will be the rocks upon which you're built. And so I listened to that and that's why I went and got, you know, specific degrees in that area. And I, I love all things, you know, human body. Um, I've had the great privilege of being able to work with colleagues like uh, Professor Carlos Stecko and Dr. Robert Schleip. Um, and I work with them on a reasonably regular basis. I mean, they're just amazing uh, individuals, and um, you know you can't help but soak up um, you know the information from these guys. So uh, I'm also teaching what we call European Neuromuscular Therapy. We specialize in the treatment of uh, chronic unresolved pain, and I guess people would also um, relate the the word fascia and fascia science to me, um, but one of the things I would say is that I find the word fascia a little bit reductionist and therefore I would like to think that I am, that I am more than just, um, that I'm more than just fascia. <laughs>
0: but, All right. So no, we'll, we'll have, have to, yeah, we'll have to well, take off on that a little bit. So tell me about that. Why, why fascia is reductionist, the term there.
2: Yeah. So, you know, for somebody to be able to have, you know, a, a meaningful discussion, you need to be able to agree on what it is that you're that you're talking about and uh, we'll come back to this word maybe in a couple of minutes of time stretching because people use the word stretching now i find that when i'm traveling the world if i'm in australia or you know new zealand or south africa or I'm in the north americas and if i say stretching people will nod their head and then what i would do is i might go a little bit further to say can you write down in just a couple of sentences what you mean by stretching and then i get people to read out what they've written and honest to goodness. You will find that in a room of you know 100 people, you you will get 30, 40 variations on the theme, and they will be convinced that everybody you know was thinking the same thing when in fact that's just not the case. So I think it's worthwhile to take time out to actually say, well, look, when I'm when I'm talking about whatever the topic is, and um, this is what I mean. Is that what you mean? And people will often say, well, no, that's not quite what I was thinking of. I was thinking, of... and that's great because now what you do is you reach consensus. And now everybody's on the same page. And I believe then we can have what I refer to as a conscious experience because that's really what actually helped to develop consciousness in, in us humans uh, was the gift of language and vocabulary. So fascia, um, let's stop and think about some of the words that we that we relate to fascia. What words do you guys relate to fascia? Any particular well, words that come to your mind immediately? That- connective tissue comes to mind
0: immediately. Yeah, for sure. Connective. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, etym- etymologically, we have uh, fascist. Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Well, they're
2: they're, they're two there's they're two different etymologies: yeah. fascia <laughs> and fascist. So, but I mean, you have the words like um, uh, ubiquitous.
1: Ubiquitous, yeah, okay. right. um, so I'm You're talking um, about qualities. I get you. Okay. Yeah.
2: Get you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, forgive me for not being clear enough on that. Binding. Uh, yeah yeah binding enveloping yeah omnipresent everywhere yeah. so yeah. if fascia is everywhere how can it be not somewhere so for me fascia is a, uh, fascia is a process it's not a thing it's actually a process a process in time and mm. um, it involves things like phase changing if you think about electrical activity something that happens slow uh, like Muscle fibers, uh, slow twitch muscle fibers, they sound like this. If you listen to fast twitch muscle fibers, they sound like this. So they're happening, their their activity is occurring at about 400 times faster than a, 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 a slow twitch muscle fiber. Were you
1: making a sound? Because I think Zoom uh, got rid of your whatever noises. you're No making. way,
2: really. So I was going... T- the, yeah, did it, it didn't. Like
0: artificial intelligence uh, doesn't like random sounds and it thinks that they're not <laughs> meant to be there. So typical, okay,
2: let's just say it was a single shot from a gun fired okay. every you know one and a half seconds, as opposed to um, an F 16. I no, not what's a gun, I don't, I'm not good at guns, um, you know, with a, a machine gun, you know, going, yeah.
0: boom,
2: boom, boom. I mean, that's okay. fast. It's hard. 400 times faster so things are happening on a temporal basis in the human body temporality is a huge uh, topic for me everything is happening on a on a temporal basis if you had an immediate injury um, and you you should never have spaces in the human body the human body doesn't allow for space uh, other than your sinal cavities and um, your urinary bladder but that fills and then it empties and it fills. So really, it, there's never a space there or there shouldn't be. And if you did have a, an occasion where somebody injured themselves and there was an immediate space, how would you fill that space? Because remember, the body will not allow spaces. So if that's true, then the body's going to fill it. How would it fill it? And of course, immediately, it's going to fill it with blood or fluids. You see, and that's what it does. And then you go into the, so how does the heel spur come about? You can't get a heel spur and in an, overnight. heel spurs, you know, have to calcify, so they take much longer time to fill that space. But then having said that, generally speaking, that space is occurring over a long period of time. So as the space is occurring, the body's filling it and it's filling it with, you know, particular you know, either tissues or liquids, and then those tissues and liquids are going to go through morphological changes that become sticky and hard and calcified and, and so on. Can you see? So temporality for me is I love that. It's a great it's a great topic. But um, we were talking about um, fascia. And I would say that fascia is is a process. It's everywhere. And so for the surgeon, if I'm showing uh, surgeons how to be able to approach um, retroperitoneal structures on what we would refer to as bloodless planes, then I might be showing them a lateral approach and talking about the various different. Here's another one. I might be talking about the various different fasciae that are in the body, but there are no fasciae in the body. There's only fascia fascia is plural meaning two and there are no there are not two fascia in the human body there's only one fascia in the human body that you know has folded back on itself to create what we might refer to as you know some pockets or it has it has tripled so it creates triple you know double and triple la- layers or laminate but it all came from one the original oh, wow. fabric. yeah really? all the amazing
1: yeah fascinating by the way fascinating so uh, you know good. it's
0: so rare that we get to talk to somebody who's got such a vast knowledge of both anatomy and language and and I I we'll probably have 50 different rabbit holes when we go down here but I got to ask this question because I've wondered this you mentioned that the the letters ae at the end of a a Latin name meaning plural so what is the plural for example in the fascia lata or levator scapulae, for example um <laughs> since there seem nice. to be just singular structures there but they're are they, in fact, plurals because there's eight okay, eight so, in so a
2: because, you know, again, my, my my brain explodes when you say certain things. So one of the first things I got to say is that please remember that everything I tell you could be completely wrong. OK, <laughs> So well, thanks for because... reminding me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
2: mean, it's still good. Look, it's John Sharkey. I'm speaking based on my 42 years experience. And it's, you know, what I believe to be true. Mm-hmm. But having said that, if somebody wants to disagree with me, that doesn't mean to say that we can't sit down and have a, a cup of coffee, or a cup of tea, or a cup of a, you know a beer, and mm-hmm. you know put our arms around each other, and you know still have a good conversation. We don't have to fall out just because we we don't agree with each other. Um, there, okay, so we are segmented. We are segmental human beings, and we do have right and left sides. Um, why we have a right and left hemisphere, we just. We don't know. We don't know why we have two sides to our brain. That's just uh, an unanswered question. I've discussed this with uh, Ian McGilchrist, who is um, a famous guy. He has a wonderful book out, very heavy reading. He has two new books out, actually, follow I don't know where these guys get the time to do to read all the research papers that they have. But he has The uh, the uh, Master and His Emissary, which is a, an amazing book. Um, so So we have right and left. So you have a right and left rectus abdominis. You know, so, so okay. it's not just rectus abdominis, it's a right rectus abdominis and a left rectus abdominis. And so you have a levator scapula. But um I suppose you could say levator scapulae if you want to talk about the right and left together in the one sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. And tensor fascia
1: I, 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 Yeah, would be the yeah. the left and right, you're saying. Okay.
2: Well, perhaps if you're talking, but it, it's it's the it's a tensor fascia lata
1: is lata is is the, is a singular. All right, that's the example. Okay, sure.
2: Yeah. And of course, it is continuous because what you find is, if you can if you can visualise an embryo, you're yeah. sitting you're sitting within the womb. You you'll see that the lower limbs are the lower limbs have rotated out and they've spiralled out and they've ended up in a particular position, and that position creates specific tensions and compressions so this is now getting you're going to now go into a conversation about um genetics versus epigenetics so we have a combination of genetics and epigenetics if things are not where they're supposed to be so this argument comes around from time to time where people say to me oh alignment and posture are not important and there are people who have written papers on that and that's fantastic I completely disagree with them I believe Uh, as Ida Rolf used to say you know put it where it belongs and ask for movement and I think she was wise uh, you know maybe we we could tweak that but I think she was wise in what she was saying and you know your head needs to be Sitting in a particular way on your neck, your neck needs to be sitting a particular way on your shoulders, and if not, there's a consequence for that. You're going. There's a price to pay. So, if your lower limbs are in the the right position, you will develop an iliotibial band. If they are not in the right position, you will not develop an iliotibial band, or you will develop the iliotibial band somewhere else. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah. (laughs) If you're a horse rider, or if you're treating horse riders. Um, so for those listeners who, who treat horse riders, you'll notice that they have iliotibial bands on the medial side of their legs because of the positioning of the feet in the stirrups. So it, certainly it adductors
1: acting like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the fascia thickens along Stickens line. There, sure. Yeah. So what
1: thickening in that band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's
2: a communication. That's a conversation that's happening in the human body. It's not down mm-hmm. to genetics. It's down to epigenetics. It's down to the influence of the forces operating. And uh, if you're born and your heart is not in the right place in your thoracic cavity, if it's not sitting correctly, then there is an opening between the right and left atria. And unfortunately, that opening will not close and you will be left with the hole in the heart. So this this and, and we, we normally have a small little um, sticky out piece of tissue, which we call a limbus, the limbus of the fossa ovale. Um, beautiful the language is beautiful, isn't it? The limbus of the fossa ovale. And so this will not form and uh, this this will not um, uh, close uh, on birth if your heart is just not in the right position. And therefore, you'd be left as I say with a hole in the heart. And we've several other examples of that around the body, and but they're everywhere, actually, these little openings or holes.
1: Yeah. All right. So you're you're unapologetically structuralist. You would say the structure counts or alignment counts, position matters as Usually. well as postulatives. All right.
2: Usually. And of course the body has the ability to adapt. And yeah. as long as you're functional, that's fantastic. But um, you know th- this idea that you take an eight-year-old child and you put Harrington rods into their sp- into their spine to correct scoliosis—that's not my. That would not be my approach. I think that's just. I think no. that's horrific, uh, and the, our problem is that it, it'll take another hundred years before we have convinced people, um, you know, of an of an of an alternative way, another way. Even the word alternative is not a great word because as soon as you say alternative, um, as soon as you say alternative people start, you know, having certain thoughts in their head because we have this word alternative versus complementary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but um, yeah, I just, I, I tend to think that once people can remain functional, then th- that's pretty cool.
1: I was I'm listening gonna... to uh, Joanne Avidson's podcast recently where she, and she was interviewing you and she said your nickname was Fascia man at your university. Yeah, you this is all
2: these, I meet PhDs now, you know, all these years later. And they say when I when they're introduced to me or if I'm at an anatomical society meeting, they say, oh, yeah, you're a fashion man. You're the faster I don't guy. Yeah, how they still manage to talk about me and and how that goes around. It's just
1: funny. Yeah. Well, she she went on to ask something that I while we're on the subject of is posture important. She said how you feel about having the Mickey taken out of you for your she said dedication to a lost cause namely fascia. I don't know if you remember that question or not, but it made me curious to hear what you would say to the people who think that fascia is, say, irrelevant or vastly overrated or even a fad that's passe.
2: Well, there's a couple of things, by the way. I was was talking in another school uh, just recently, and they were saying things like, um, if you if you want to put you know the tissue in the bins uh, beneath the uh, cadavers, and I said, look, if you could if you could do me a favour, I'd prefer if you didn't prefer to them as bins. And um, bins are trash cans, uh-huh. and we would never ever um, encourage anybody to say that they were placing human tissue into a bin or a trash can. And then they said, oh, you know, yeah, language is important. Language, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to encourage people to leave their bodies to science. Yeah, mm. I think we need to pay attention. You know, to these to these words. Um, what I get sometimes is a, a little tap on the back. To say, "Oh yeah, John. John's interested in fashion. John, have a chat with, the, with this person." And although they're introducing you to somebody, and you kind of think, "Oh, that was great that they helped you to network," it's the tap on the back that you go, "Did they? Did they just tap me on the back?" <laughs> and you realise that I'm not quite sure if that's been disparaging or what it is a
1: little but, condescending perhaps yeah a
2: little condescending you know because um maybe they 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 know better and it's very hard for somebody to know what they don't know it's very hard for somebody to know that so if you've been encouraged you see this is where the focus in anatomy is 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 about where where is the superior mesenteric where is, of course, everybody loves the vagus nerve. Where is the vagus nerve? My goodness. Um, there's so much to to learn about the vagus nerve. I want to send a, an applaud out um, to Professor Porges. What a great character he is. What an incredible uh, guy. And the polyvagal theory. And he has to take a lot of
1: stick over the polyvagal oh, theory. Yeah. And, uh, and about anatomical specificity amongst others. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of my tutors... Um, was the first human being in space. He was an American. Lots of people think that the first human being in space was a cosmonaut by the name of Yuri Gagarin. But in fact, it was my tutor, uh, Professor David Simons of uh, Travel, Simons and Simons. And he was the first human being to go into space. If you don't believe me, you can go on to the internet and look up Man High Project and you can read all about David. And his exploits. And that's how he met Dr. Janet Travelle. And Dr. Janet Travelle, you probably know, she was the first uh, female physician in the White House. Mm-hmm. She was um, tending to John F. Kennedy. And she was also, by the way, great at inventing and making things. And she made a specific rocking chair, which is here in Dublin, incidentally, in a, in a restaurant not too far away from me called Shanahan's on the Green. And they have that rocking chair up there. But uh, they were ostracized. They had to take an awful lot of stick over this idea of myofascial trigger points. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, there's another great one, by the way. Why are we not talking about uh, myocardial myofascial trigger points? Why is nobody writing about myocardial myofascial trigger points? Is the the heart muscle not a muscle? Mustn't be. Mustn't be because nobody has written one iota about myofascial trigger points occurring in the the myocardial tissue, which is just mind-boggling.
0: Well With that's something. an interesting thought. I mean like it, do you think it's possible that some of the other symptoms like Absolutely. heartburn or things like that could actually be oh, no, my to goodness. trigger there points are people who
2: are, exactly there are people who are experiencing all of the sensations of um, some type of cardiac insult mm-hmm. and they don't they don't have the pathology and wow. there's, another, there's another great area for people to investigate fertile ground, mm-hmm. you know, go and investigate it and see if it's if there's anything there or no, nothing to see here, move on. But my goodness, we talk about every other single muscle muscle in the human body and we don't talk about myocardial tissue in terms of myofascial turning points. I find that extremely and I'm I'm off doing other things. I just can't. I can't be finding, you know, the the research on those, but I can encourage people, Yeah. You know, and your podcast. I think this is the first podcast I've ever mentioned that. Uh, I've never mentioned that before to anybody, almost yeah. because first I have too many things to talk about. And number two, you know, well, but th- there it is on your podcast. If there's anybody out there involved in research, there's a great, there's a great uh, area. That's a so fascinating idea. So,
0: so now you got me thinking about like, trigger points in the tongue and you know like we're, we're all yeah. these other places that we you know muscle tissue that we kind of ignore with with potential problems there so
2: absolutely whitney well yeah. done that's that's brilliant you know that yeah. now you see what just happened there i happened to mention the heart yeah and within just a couple of seconds we're we're off we're off yeah. We're wrong. brilliant absolutely fantastic yeah so there's so, so much to be discovered there really is
0: I want to ask you a question about something else that I've heard you make comments about or mentioned before, and, and I don't understand quite the concept. I'd love for you to explain it a little bit to our uh, listeners too. When you refer to fascial tuning pegs, um, tell me a little bit about that, what that is. Okay.
2: So fascial tuning pegs. Um, several years ago, I did a research paper with uh, professor Hongjin Sui in Dalian uh, medical university in China. Um, and if you, it, This is on the myodural bridge, which is um, the connective tissue, the fascia, the connective tissue from the rectus capitis posterior minor, rectus capitis posterior major. Mm -hmm. Um, And this relationship, it is continuous with the dura, the tough mother, the dura mater um, of your spinal cord. And in fact, what we didn't include in the paper also, by the way, is that there are specialized little foramen, foramina, um, through which the connective tissue run through your cranium. They run through your cranium to attach to the dura. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we, we didn't mention them, but and, and again, nobody has really done a paper on that that I've seen, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you stop then and you think to yourself, well, let, let's look at this little muscle in the back of your head. Um, and if you compare it to a you know, a quadricep or a biceps brachii or you know pectoralis major and you think to yourself what is its function is it, is it is it involved in in moving us in some way or moving the head and you know that's what we tend to think about muscles well it turns out that there are that there are specialized what what you may refer to them as fascial structures in the human body that when we look at them from a histological viewpoint we see that they're completely different to neighboring tissues So then you have to say to yourself, well, why would they be so different? And I think it's reasonable to say, well, then they must be playing a different role. But what role would they be playing? And of course, um, what's happening with these tissues, uh, they are replete with sensory organs. I mean, replete. if you took one inch of muscle fiber from your gluteus maximus and you were to analyze it for muscle spindles. um, I'm going to give you old figures, by the way, because there are... These figures are changing constantly. Dr. Robert Schleip with Dr. Carla Stecco uh, combined uh, work um, with another colleague of theirs who had written um, about the number of of nerve fibers that there are in the, in the human body, sensory nerve fibers in the human body. Um, it's now into the hundreds of millions because they use a three-dimensional um Uh, approach and they also had an average weight of a a male and human uh, and female so all of a sudden you know our our knowledge in terms of you know these particular specialist um sensory organs are just changing so if you take a a, you know an inch of muscle fiber in gluteus maximus you're going to have somewhere in the region of 11 muscle spindles if you take just that little inch of muscle tissue in rectus capitis Posterior minor, you're going to have eleven thousand. Wow! Let's mm-hmm. compare that eleven to eleven thousand. Wow! And that mm-hmm. might even be those figures might have to be m- multiplied by three. But you ask yourself the question then: what What is the fo- so gluteus maximus doesn't tell us anything. Gluteus, there's a, a term to say hip, you know, related to hip. Maximus, it's a big one. So it doesn't tell us anything. And by the way, contract, what does the word contract mean? It means to shrink. Let's we might talk about that another day. Shrink, is that a good word? You know, because that's what it means. It means to shrink. see, we, we use these words all the time and we really don't know what they mean. I remember I met a guy, Dr. Chato introduced me to a guy, Andrew Beale, years and years and years ago. And he was writing a book at the time. And I I gave him, I said to him, Let me give you a let me give you a you know a little gift. I said the word muscles means little mice. And I think Andrew used that in his book, which is a brilliant book. Um, is it the Trail Guide? To- Trail Guide to yeah. the Body. They're actually
1: yeah. one of our sponsors on the show. Full. Wow, full-
2: what a sponsor. fantastic book that is! <laughs> That's just and he did. You know, he he self published that and did all the diagrams, and I think he got surprised with the number of sales. And uh, it's just brilliant. I recommend his book everywhere I go. I think it's a beautiful book. A little but, um, mice, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but so what happened was again that the, the listener can't see us. But if you were to if you were to move your fingers you know, and look at how the skin moves on your forearm. Mm. The Greeks thought that if you placed a bed sheet or a tablecloth on the ground and you watched a mouse running underneath it, that it made that type of shape, you see. Uh, So they called them muscularis. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your hip bone, acetabulum, vinegar Mm. bowl. So if they turned the pelvis, one side of the pelvis on it, you know, um, if you turned it on its side, it looked like, the bowl that they dipped their bread into using a little bit of, you know, vinegar and oil, vinaigrette. So they called it acetabulum. It doesn't tell you anything about the physiology or metabolism or, you know, what is it about? So if we start to look then at the, at what these tissues are doing, we see that they're playing very specific roles. So the one thing that, that uh, gluteus maximus never does is it, it uh, i'm going to come back now but if, if we have the chance time wise i'll come back and i'll contradict this uh, but um the term that is nothing in the human body shortens or lengthens that's just a complete myth nothing in the human body shortens or lengthens tell us uh, even, more
1: yeah we're gonna have it to do
0: di- we have to dive into that so yeah even if it looks
2: like well, visually, it would be much easier for me to show you. But um, if it looks like it's shortening, it, that's it, that's exactly what it is. It just looks like it's shortening, but nothing is actually lengthening, right down to the molecular level. You're just getting things moving relative to each other. Um, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Gluteus maximus never shortens. You never need to do what people call stretching on gluteus maximus. It's just you're
1: talking about a resting state, a steady state, a permanent state. Doesn't is fairly constant. There's not great changes in that. Even it's never like, All right. I'm with you.
2: What you might get is you might get hypertonicity, increased tension. And by the way, what do we do? If you get an upper trapezius and it's, it's tense, you know, tension is a, is a, a feeling tension is a sensation. So what do we do? We stretch it, you know, so people look at the medical world, you know, I'm responsible for training undergrad med students and postgrad specialists. And they say, Oh, you guys only treat the symptoms. Well, Tension is a symptom. And what do we like to do to to tension? We like to stretch it. So we like to stretch the symptoms. So be careful about finger wagging, um, you know, at other people, you know, at the end of the day, people do, you know, they, they move their head away from their shoulder and they do this thing called a stretch. And it doesn't, like stretching the hamstrings, it just doesn't really do anything, you know, they, they're they're stretching it the next day and the next day and the next day. It so doesn't much-
1: do anything in terms of a permanent deformation or an act, yeah. actually changing some physiological length or something yeah. like that.
2: Yeah. Thank you. This is the great thing about conversations. You know, somebody can come in and just tweak what I said to make it that little bit better. And that's fantastic. We can all offer something there. But let me just finish this real quick then. With yeah. So. So if we look at, at rectus captus, posterior minor, really, and remember, we have to use hypotheses. We have to say, could I be wrong? Yes, I could. But based upon the morphology of the tissue, based upon the neurophysiology of the tissue, placed upon its positioning, etc., we know we, we can feel confident that this muscle is about giving feedback to you, to the human body, to so that you know where you are in time and space. Now, if you've got forward head posture, then you will not know where you are in time and space. So you will things that you just take for granted, um, you will walk towards a doorway and you'll get to the doorway quicker before you thought you were going to, or you'll bang your elbow off things or you'll bump your toe into things and people who know you will call you awkward. And um, you'll say, what's Johnny? Oh God, he's awkward. You know, It's because where you think you are and where you are are two different things because you have forward head posture so as manual therapists our job is to see if we can offer therapeutic intervention to help this head to sit back on the neck you know in a more appropriate manner as Ideroff would have said put it where it belongs and ask for movement
0: you were going to say something then sorry yeah i wanted to kind of get back to the the contraction and lengthening thing so if we talk about a just let's say a discrete muscle tendon unit that um something really sim- simple like the biceps in, in the arm if you flex your elbow you are in in fact and correct me anywhere i'm wrong along this this thought process here you are bringing the two ends closer together right no, no. you're not no. okay
2: it's real simple fix me on yeah, that. And it would yeah. be a little, it's actually real simple um and it would be easier to actually do this if we if you know if you we were on zoom or if, if people could see exactly what i'm doing but if you want to um if you want to take a, you know a particular pe- a sharpie pen like take a little sharpie pen and you put a dot somewhere on your on your shoulder somewhere to represent you know origin of something mm-hmm. and let's say you pick a point just distal to your elbow and you put a little mark there and you can call that the insertion okay and let's say then what you do is you you do that motion that you call you know contraction Uh you're bending you're bending at the at the elbow joint and if you were to use a soft measuring tape and you hold it in place you'll notice that the measuring tape doesn't actually change
0: Mm -hmm.
2: measuring tape doesn't get shorter or doesn't get longer so that's a starting point for us that's just a starting point so the distance between the origin and the insertion Never change, and, and of course they couldn't. Other than you had a dislocation or subluxation, or the tendon tore off the tore off the bone, then something might happen. But that origin
0: insertion distance are not changing. So, Wait, so sorry, how are you moving yet, a limb? Yeah, I'm yeah. How there are there, you yeah. moving a limb if the distance is not changing?
1: I love your premise, by the way. It's so great to have something that blows people's mind. And they're going, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> You're saying, "No, you have to turn it around exactly how you." Think about it, but help me turn it around because I'm not there. Yet. Oh, listen! Th-
2: by the yeah, way, our
0: listeners know, can't see, but I get Till and I both have smoke coming out of our ears right now. <laughs> oh, Yeah, <laughs> i am trying to wrap my First head of all, around. You have to
2: remember where we have to remember how have we ended up where we are in terms of anatomy. We could go back several thousand years, but we we you know I tend to go back. Um, I know Joanne works with me quite a lot, so so we're similar in this regard. We tend to go back to um, René Descartes. So we we say that. We look at this the 17th century, late 1600s, and René Descartes was a horologist. He was a philosopher, fascinated in watches and clocks. And so he thought that he could describe all living motion based upon those mechanics. Now, long before him, we had Borelli, and even before him, we had Socrates and further back, if you wish to go. Um, so we've got this language that we use in the human body where we talk about, for instance, joints, there are no joints in a human body. Now, if I say there's no joints in the human body and somebody goes, what are you talking about? Look at my elbow joint. You know, you have to understand what the word joint means. And unfortunately, people have shortened it. It's actually a pin joint. That's what it means. And a pin joint means that you get two bars that overlap each other. And then you have a pin going between them to hold them together. So we don't have pins going between our bones to hold our bones together. And bone is fascia. Bone is just part of the continuity it's part of the continuum it just happens to be a stiffened hardened uh, connective tissue harder than the stuff on your face and harder on this stuff that we call little mice and um, it just happens to be a, a specialization not spatialization but specialization it's it's specialist so if you if you deposit liver cells into the fa- into the connective tissue you'll get a, a liver and if you deposit muscle fibers you'll get muscles and if you so on yeah so so if we if we, we so that, now I, I went from the gross part from the superficial part we say it was the skin and we met, we talked about a soft measuring tape, and you hold it in place and you will notice that the soft measuring tape doesn't suddenly get smaller or shorter. Mm. So that's telling you that the those two points have remained the same. Now we see something-
1: I, that's where I don't that's right where I don't get you. you. By soft you mean flexible. You don't mean you don't mean elastic. You don't mean it changes its length. You say a measuring tape between the origin insertion of the biceps would not, a measurement would not change in elbow flexion.
2: That measure, that measurement would not change. But then we, we have to stop and say, right, okay, well, what about the, the gaster? What about the gaster of the of the muscle? So gaster, what does that mean? That means muscle belly. If you had a, what's the nickname for your stomach? You know, people call it your belly. Okay, so if you had, a, you know, some kind of an illness, a sickness, you might have gastroenteritis. So that's where that word comes from. So the belly of your muscles are your gasters. So, if the, so we look at the gaster and we see, well, John, if I do this flexing of my you know my elbow joint, then I see some kind of a shape change there, see it bundling up. What's happening? What's happening there? And that's really where we'd have to we'd have to get into the discussion. And, and unfortunately, I'd say that we're limited in terms of just a conversation where I can't visually show you something. But let's say we go down to the, you know, we go down to the cellular level or even further down into the nuclear level. Uh, you're going to see that nothing shortens. You don't get you know, either atoms or electrons or protons shortening. All they do mm-hmm. is they move around each other. They change. Yeah, they change relative to each other. And that's exactly what's happening. It's scale-free. It's happening at the, the nano level, and it's happening at the gross level. Although what you're seeing is a shape change. Let me, for you guys, once again, I'll come back to the, the slinky. People can go out and buy a slinky in a toy store. And, and if you buy that slinky and you hold it on either end and you pull it, you'll see that you're able to bring your hands apart. And the slinky looks like it's lengthening, but nothing's lengthening. It, although the whole thing is changing.
1: Okay, right? let me, now in your in your description, your hands coming apart, is that a distance change in your vocabulary? Absolutely, sure. Okay. I mean,
2: your hands have moved apart. So your hands right. are are not, they're not, they're no longer closer together. They're okay. actually- We're in apart. agreement
1: about that. Greg. Yeah. So yes. that's where, that's where know, I was
0: getting stuck <laughs> is this idea, like the, the two attachment points being represented by your hands, each one holding the slinky, that distance is changing.
2: Absolutely, and and look, I mean, we're okay. certainly, move, we're, we've got motion, we've got movement here, so something's yeah. changed, angle
1: changed, and things yes. are moving. Geometry yeah, and
2: angle changes, all that sort of stuff is yeah. changing. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the slinky, for instance, for those people who are, who are just using your imagination, imagine you're holding a slinky, you're holding either end of the slinky and you're pulling it. So it's a coiled, it's a coiled spring. So what you have in here okay. right, is what, we, what I'd call redundancy. You see, let me give you another kind of example of, if I can, and once again, oh gosh, um, I wish we were, we you were know, that we were together on Zoom or something, just so that I could give you this kind of a visualization. I'm trying to look for a piece of paper. So if I take, a, if I have a piece of paper here, let me see, I've mil- I, uh, this is something I'm doing tonight, so I have millions of notes, but I'll take this one here. So I have a piece of paper, okay? And you see that if I push either end of the piece of paper, it, it, you know, it goes into a, it coils into a, a curl. Can you see that? A U-shape, mm-hmm. a U-shape, yes. Mm-hmm. So I take a piece of paper, I'm holding it like an A4 page you'd, you'd use in your printer at home. Hold it either end, push it towards each other, and you'll get a U-shape.
1: Now The paper I, sags, it's a U, yep.
2: Yes, yeah, sags. Now, if I put, if I fold it in half, I take my nail and you, oh gosh. Um, a, a nice origami crease in gosh, there. might not like that now if i push it you see it it moves completely different yes
1: like a v yeah Uh, yeah
2: yeah now if i take that piece of paper and let's say i do you know three three centimeter folds all the way along the paper so when i say three centimeter folds for those people listening what you're now trying to do is you're trying to create like an accordion effect Uh yes yeah and now we have an accordion effect so now what i do is i take the page i hold it on one end and i lengthen it
1: Mm -hmm. and then i
2: shorten it Can you see i lengthen Mm -hmm. it and I shorten it. Nothing lengthened and nothing shortened. Why? Because this is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. We a piece know The paper
1: hasn't changed its dimensions <laughs> or lengths at all. all. Now,
2: watch, now watch if I stretch it. Are you ready? Yeah, here we yeah, go. Now that's, now that's lengthening.
1: it. And okay. if I
2: take my slinky and if I just take up the redundancy, it looks like it's lengthening and shortening. But no one element of the slinky lengthened or shortened. Now watch this. I take the slinky and I really pull, as we say in Ireland, pull the BGAs out of it. Now look what's happened. Is the slinky damaged? Absolutely. Or
1: slinky. The slinky's yeah. like overstretched and isn't recoiling.
2: It's not going to go back. You will never get it back. And you can see this written on the abdomens of women who have gone through pregnancy and they even have the correct name for it.
0: And this is plastic deformation of the tissue. Yeah. yeah. So let me go back a moment and because this Stop is something right. I have heard for many years. And I want to clarify my misunderstandings about this in terms of a muscle. When we say a muscle is shortening, this is not what you're saying is, for example, overlapping of sarcomeres, the contractile units in the muscle that allow the two ends to be brought closer together. Is that correct?
2: You guys have definitely got to have on um, Dr. Neil peace. From uh, New York University. I'll send him an email. I'll introduce you to guys. Neil has uh, his new book is out. It's uh, you can order it at the moment. And I think it's chapter five. Um, so that you'll get a, a whole new explanation of what we used to call the sliding filament theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just it's not, not right. happening. Huh? And I I think about it, by the way, once again, for the listeners, if you guys place the palms of your hands together and then rub your hands together and say, well, what do you feel? You feel heat and you feel heat as a consequence of the friction. Mother Nature would never construct a living um, structure based upon friction. The only way you get friction is the breakdown of of chemicals in the production of this thing we call energy. Nobody knows what energy is, but we use it as as a language of convenience. So we break down chemicals, we call them adenosine triphosphate, and we produce energy. And when we do so, we produce heat. And that's how the human body produces heat. If you're producing heat by any other means, then that's pathology so that's not good you don't want to that's why people who have arthritic issues etc they'll tell you that their their joints are on fire somebody who's injured themselves and they've got inflammation they'll tell you that the tissue feels incredibly warm and hot that's pathological so really if, you, if you're if you have heat being produced by friction imagine that things rubbing off each other that's just that's a not a pleasant thought
0: so I know we're getting close to our our time limit here, to, but yeah, I want to. Really sorry, guys. Yeah, it's okay, but I I want to try to leave one thing with an you know maybe if we can kind of consolidate this into something for our listeners. This whole idea about we feel a person having limited range of motion, and we try to to increase their range of motion uh-huh. through stretching, massage, soft tissue manipulation. What are we doing? And is this a good idea? You know, it's like, what's happening here? Yeah, it can be.
2: I mean, let's put the word stretching aside for a moment. Uh, what you're doing is you're trying to you're trying to return normal physiological range of motion. So there is pretension in a human body. And there is, you know, pre-stress. What happens to it? Let, let's use classical anatomical terms. What happens to a human body on death? Almost immediately. You yeah, have rigor mortis. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, that's what a myofascial trigger point is. A myofascial trigger point is rigor mortis. It's a, a, a rigor contraction in a, in just a small piece of muscle tissue. Uh, there's no need for ATP. There's no need for electromagnetic or, sorry your pardon. There's no need for energy. Uh, there's no need for a nerve input. It can stay that way, you know, forever. Isn't that amazing? And what you've got is a rigor contraction now further out from the sarcomere you may have an endplate dysfunction and it could involve acetylcholine and all of that but at the, the level of the sarcomere what you have basically is a rigor contraction which is a form of shortening of the sarcomeres even though i'm i'm using the word shortening now as a you know because it's convenient for me but what you're actually getting is you're getting rotations and spirals and things are moving relative to to each other and therefore you know they're creating what what we might refer to as a shortening. So those people who are involved, when they're stretching. It's just the people are trying to return normal physiological or anatomical range of motion because it is short of that range of motion. That's a that can be a beautiful thing to do. I would just say be careful not to in you know to force your agenda on tissues. You have to have a conversation, and that conversation is based upon knowledge uh, and experience. Yeah. Okay. Kind of the best I think I could do with Nin. And- in the time that we have. I'm yeah. really sorry. My other tutor has started class. Let's I know. That she's done all the so basically go. what this has
0: done is this just made me decide that we're going to have to have it like six more episodes to, to delve into yeah, a bunch of this. But so. well, Whitney, uh,
2: you and I go back so many years. It's just great to spend a bit of time with you until we've met and each you. other now on a number of occasions. And it's just, you guys are doing such great work. I love it. And uh, kind of John. to be in, to be involved with you guys, it's, and to have the few minutes to spend with you,
1: it's really been super well. Cool. And every one yeah. of our conversations has been a uh, part in uh, ongoing whole and to be continued. So thank you, John. Thanks for taking yeah. the time. I yeah, really Thanks, appreciate
0: guys. it, and thank you again for all the magnificent work you have done. So, can you share a little bit for our listeners how they can find you, track you down, follow your work, that kind of thing?
2: Okay, so I'm useless when it comes to social media. I get I know people give out to me about it all the time, but um, Facebook, come on to Facebook. I, 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 you know, Facebook only allow you to have so many people. So I think it's five thousand, and that's full. But they can follow, um, or Johncharkeyevents.com, uh, and they can they can uh, learn
0: about me there in those two places. Okay, wonderful, John. Thank you again so much for your time. We really appreciate. It. This is very uh, fascinating discussion and definitely to be continued here.
1: To be continued. So. If you got to go, jump off. We got another minute. Thanks, guys. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah I'm going to
0: jump yeah. off. And I'll
2: talk to you again soon, right? Okay, that sounds good. Thank you, Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks to you both. Bye. Yeah.
0: So yeah. anyway, that was a a fascinating discussion with John. He had to zip off our, our line here. But uh, boy, he, he brought up so many questions and things for me. I mean, what, what struck you as being, well, what really stuck out for you as being, yeah, interesting or fascinating well, sort I of just, thing.
1: I really enjoy John's loquaciousness and his stories and his idea of anatomy oh, I don't know if it's an idea but his practice of anatomy as a narrative art yeah. and the historical personified language-based picture that we can get of anatomy as stories and I I certainly I really relate to his uh the, the shared heritage there, being a Rolf, per se, and being that world where it really, for me, it was my training. Original training was very much in line with what he was describing, as position being paramount, and and the continuity of different structures being the ones that uh, being the thing that is foreground rather than taking things apart. And yeah. then the irony of him being such a precise differentiator in his language and ideas were describing something in the terminology in very precise terms, almost like making distinctions about something that's not distinct and something that is a whole by nature. And so trying to communicate the wholeness of that yeah. to find distinctions. Yeah. Anyway, that's me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I just found myself, um, you know, at least five or six times saying, whoa, wait a minute here. <laughs> I got to, I got to dig into this. What, uh-huh. what are you talking about? The, in just a number of things that he brought up feeling like I, I want to explore this for like, these are many, many rabbit holes that I would want to to dive uh, deeper down into. And, yeah. uh, you know, I first met John, I think, uh, he and I first met at the very first fascial research Congress, mm-hmm. and that was 98, eight ish or so, or somewhere around in 2000. you remember when that was?
1: No, I don't, but I remember yeah. it was, uh, was- uh Washington. Harvard, no Harvard. Yeah. yeah it was yeah, in, uh-huh. at Harvard in Boston.
0: Yep. Uh, and, uh, we had some just fascinating conversations over the years, and I just, I just could sit and listen to him, and, and I gotta, you know, think like he's one of the people who really pushes my envelope in thinking about things a certain way. So, um, I get a lot out of those the discussions. So we'll we'll have to continue that. Uh, any, further of those, any
1: of those any of those book questions you want to bookmarks or places that we you didn't get to dive in as much as you would have liked?
0: Well, you know, I, I I feel like I still didn't get quite through with this thing about tissues elongating and are there. Uh, you know, this thing about positioning movements yeah. of the attachment points of bones that um, I want to revisit this because I'm not quite there yet. So
1: Yeah, I mm, I think I know what he's saying. I'm probably doing him a disservice, but I think he's simply saying that the constituent materials don't permanently deform. Yeah, that's kind of what
0: I was getting at. And when that's when he I was talking been. about stretching, we're not really stretching things, that's because if we did actually put the kind of forces on to lengthen at more of a sort of microscopic level of that tissue, then it's uh-huh. it doesn't have that degree. But then that calls into question, what about elasticity? You know, I mean, uh-huh. tissues have some degree of elasticity and like you can apply certain loads to them yeah. before they deform. Yes. Uh, he, so he was uh,
1: calling that anatomical range or functional yeah. range. Again, yeah. it's that question of... uh and then permanent question being the distinguishing word in that conversation. Usually things are changing length all the time, but do they change their permanent or you know, basic uh length that they return to? Yeah. In the absence so, of a motor input or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my guess. That's so, what what yeah. am talking about. Yeah. And well, by the way, fascia, at least Paul Ingram says fascia and fascist do share a root. Paul Ingram is as far as last I read, at least not a big fan of fascist So who knows? Maybe. That might have a bit of a tilt to be that way. In his right. lens there, and, yeah. but he, uh, I'm going to send that to John, that they, yeah. at least for, according to Paul, they do uh, share a common root, although at the end of Paul's uh, article about fashion, fascists, he says, you know, I could be wrong about all this, but who knows. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like some some of those things are probably a little bit of the game of telephone of like, you know, where did this well, come from kind of thing. It's like, you know, so. There's that. Yeah.
1: There's that. Yeah. No, great. So, we, you know, we had some other things we were going to ask him about. We were going to ask him about bioethics integrity. We are going to ask him about, you know, for me, it really is the irony of, like I mentioned, the irony of being very detailed and yet trying to convey and give people the experience of the whole. Yeah, so that's what I enjoy. And then his master story—you set up the storyteller. You set up some tension. You set up some uh, narrative tension by basically debunking some fundamentals. And then you get to build your case, yeah. around that new view that you're. Mm-hmm. right. So uh, all right, well we'll
0: we'll um, continue that discussion on a, a good bit too. So we just wanted to do a, a sort of a momentary wrap up there after because mm-hmm. there was a lot to a lot to take in there. So
1: yeah. all right. so should yeah. I thank our sponsors. Yes, indeed. let's do. He mentioned Andrew Beale. Andrew Beale is the author of Trail guide to the body, published by Books of Discovery which has been part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. They see the same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission of, to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for
0: pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology, at booksofdiscovery.com, where thinking practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering the word thinking at checkout. So we would like to say a thank you to all of our sponsors and thank you to the listeners for hanging out with us for these uh, fascinating discussions as well. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can people find that with you?
1: advanced-tradings.com We love to hear from you. It's great to read the little comments you put in your reviews, but it's especially great to get your emails. So if you have questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, email us at info at Practitioner, or just look for us on social media and message us there. Under our names, my name continues as Till Luca Whitney. Yeah. And you can find that for me under my
0: name, Whitney Lowe on social as well. And I would like to make a plug here about uh, sending notices to us. Um, You know, we will say some things probably on this podcast or some of our guests may say things from time to time that are somewhat controversial. And I would just like to let everyone know, please write to us. If you don't agree with something that we've said, or you hit something really, you know, hits a button for you or something like that. I like to know those kinds of things because it really does help us uh, understand more about what's happening here. So please feel free, whatever your feelings and thoughts we want to hear from you. So please feel free to do that for us as well. In addition, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. So please do share the word, tell a friend, and thanks so much for hanging out with us here on The Thinking Practitioner. We will see you on the next time.
1: You know, that makes me think, if you don't like if something somebody didn't like something we said, can they go gossip to a friend? Can they go like tell a friend like oh, Hey, why not? Guys. No, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So yeah, please go oh, tell a friend whatever you want to tell them. That's but right. It's great. it's great that you're listening. Thanks yeah. very much, everybody.
0: Okay.